on today's episode. Yeah, we were taunting. I'm not going to deny it, but there was no way we were getting out of this situation alive. Let our tombstone read. They went down taunting. And while that was going on, he would have been totally happy as a little kid if his complete diet consisted of nothing but plain, plain macaroni and cheese. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from favorite storytellers. The stories will entertain you and inspire you. They'll get you thinking and even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne. Our first story is from West Virginia storyteller Bill Lepp, sharing a tallish tale about an adventure at summer camp. Have you ever been away from home and needed to learn a little about who you are? Have you and your friends ever been in a situation where things have spun out of control? Well, this might just be a story for you. Here's Bill Lepp with a story called Skunks, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. Thank you very much. Uh, during college, during summers, during college, I worked at a series of camps. And one of the camps that I worked at was a camp called Camp Horseshoe. It was a YMCA camp, which is just outside of St. George, West Virginia, <laughs> which is just outside of Parsons, if, if that clears it up for you. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, working in this one cabin was myself, my buddy Skeeter, our friend Wally, and then our buddy Uncle Debo. Now, Uncle Debo was not our uncle. In fact, Uncle Debo was a year younger than we were. But everybody in town called the poor kid Uncle Debo for several reasons. One, because Uncle Debo was the last and quite unexpected of 17 children. And when he was born, his parents were tired, and they couldn't think of a name. So they thought, we'll just call him The Boy until something better comes along. And then through the wonders of time and syllabic manipulation, the boy became da boy, which eventually became Debo. <laughs> and the reason we called him uncle is because as the last of 17 children, he had nieces and nephews who were quite a bit older than he was. So it wasn't uncommon to be walking down Main Street and hear some matronly niece yell out, Uncle Debo, you pull your pants up right now. <laughs> And I'm going to tell Grandma. So everybody in town just called the poor kid Uncle. So the four of us, Skeeter, myself, Wally, and Uncle Debo, we worked in this one cabin. Now, these were big cabins. You walked in the front door, and there was a foyer and benches. You could sit down, take your boots off, hang your jacket up. And then on either side of that foyer, there was a wing. And in each one of those wings, there was probably 25 bunk beds. And if you walked through the foyer, there was another door in the back of the foyer, which led into uh, a, another little room that was about half the size of the room that we're standing in now. And in that room, that's where myself, Wally Skeeter, and Uncle Debo stayed. So there was a door in the middle of that wall, and then on either side of that door, there was a bunk bed, and Skeeter slept on the bottom bunk over here. I slept on the top bunk. Wally slept on the bottom bunk on this side, and Uncle Debo slept on the top bunk. And then if you pass straight through that room, there was an exterior door so the four of us could come in and out of the cabin without bothering the kids. So one day, Wally cut his finger. And he cut it bad enough that we had to take him over the mountain to the doctors. And they gave him some stitches and put him on painkillers. And when we got back to the cabin, we were helping Wally up the stairs into the back door. Okay, 
We weren't really helping Wally because Wally was on painkillers and the steps were uneven and it was fun to watch Wally try and negotiate those stairs. Well, he fell and uh, had just enough sense to know that this hand was damaged. So he put his damaged hand behind his back and he reached out to stop himself with the other hand. And when he hit the, the two fingers on this hand, uh, these two fingers, they bent all the way. I know, I know it's neat to see happen to someone else. Uh, because you're like, oh, wow, can the human body do that? And then you're like, oh, no, not successfully. So we had to take him back over the mountain, and they put him in a splint and on even more painkillers. And this time we did help him up the stairs because it was almost supper, and we didn't want to miss that. So we helped Wally up the stairs. We got him in his bed, and then Skeet, uh, Uncle Debo, and I took the kids to dinner, did those activities, got the kids in bed, got in beds ourselves. And I don't know how long we'd been asleep when I heard Skeeter on the bunk underneath of me saying, Bill, Bill, wake up, but don't move. Now, I don't know if you've ever been awoken in that fashion. <laughs> but that is a difficult fashion in which to be awoken because you know something horrible is about to happen, so your body fills with adrenaline and you want to go, wah! But you know if you go, wah, you're going to die. So... <laughs> I brought myself slowly to consciousness, and I said, what's the matter? And Skeeter said, there's a skunk in the cabin. And I looked over the edge of the bed, and sure enough, there was a skunk milling around. And Skeeter said, close the door. And I knew what he meant. We had that door that went into the interior part of the cabin, and Skeeter wanted me to close that. We left that door open at night so that we could hear what noises the children were making that we were going to ignore. And... <laughs> Skeeter wanted me to close that door because he knew that if that skunk went through that door, it was going to go into one of those wings. One of those kids was going to see it. The kid was going to scream and the skunk was going to go off. But I was thinking to myself, out there is 114-year-old boys who haven't bathed in a week. I thought, how much worse can it smell? You know, I thought... We ought to take that skunk and hang it like an air freshener. <laughs> but then I remembered that we were contractually obligated to look after the goodwill of those children. So I leaned forward and I shut the door with a snick and it didn't seem to bother the skunk. But somewhere in the process, Uncle Debo had awoken. Now, Uncle Debo, um, he was a farm kid. He was a country boy. Uh, okay, let me try and explain this. Uh, there, there's no better word for it than to say that Uncle Debo was just a little bit stupid, I think is the best way to explain I think what happened, to be more charitable, I think is the last of 17 children. It's just that all of his older siblings had claimed all of the intelligence genes, and there was just nothing left for Uncle Debo. So he's a farm kid, country kid, but he didn't have a lick of sense. So Uncle Debo said, there's a skunk in the cabin, and Skeeter said, yes. And Uncle Debo said, will it bite? <laughs> Now, see, that's the wrong question. If a bear comes into your cabin, you don't think, oh, does it stink? If a mountain lion comes in, you don't say, oh, am I going to get a tick, right? It's just the wrong question. I wanted to thump him, but I knew that if I did, the skunk would go off. So Uncle Debo said, there's a skunk in the cabin. Will it bite? And Skeeter said, yes, yes, it will bite. And Uncle Debo said, how did it get in here? And as if to answer that question, the screen door went, eh, and a second skunk came in. 
So now there were two skunks milling around. And Uncle Debo said, if one of them bites me, will the other? And Skeeter said, yes. He said, they're like hornets. And if you make one mad, you make them all mad. And Uncle Debo said, if one of them goes off, will the other. And I was like, what are they, the Borg? Do they have a collective conscience? And Skeeter said, yes, if one of them goes off, they'll both go off. And by this time, I was laughing. But it was that quiet laugh, that silent laugh, like you do when you're in church or at school or, you know, at a funeral. And uh, I could feel Skeeter laughing on that bottom bunk, too. But, you know, we were probably rocking that bed on maybe like a 1.5 on the Richter scale. And there were tears coming out of my e eyes and going into my ears. And finally, Skeeter got a hold of himself. And he said to me as seriously as he could, he said, Bill, did you brush your teeth? And I thought I knew where he was going with this. So I said, no. And Uncle Debo said, I brushed my teeth. Why is that important? And Skeeter said, because skunks are scavengers. They're like bears. And if they smell a scent that they're attracted to, they'll come and investigate. And skunks love toothpaste. <laughs> and Uncle Devo said, well, I'll be okay because I'm on the top bunk. And Skeeter said, why do you think people call skunks polecats? <laughs> and Uncle Debo inhaled like he never intended to exhale again. <laughs> Not like he was trying to kill himself, just like he wasn't breathing for the next 70 years. He just sort of went, ah! like that. And by now, you know, Skeeter and I, we were almost laughing out loud. I mean, there was no, yeah, we were taunting. I'm not going to deny it, but there was no way we were getting out of this situation alive. Let our tombstone read. They went down taunting. And while that was going on, the screen door went, and a third skunk came in. So now there were three skunks milling around. And Wally, Wally'd been asleep through all of this in his drug-addled state, but Wally... Wally was one of those, he was a perfect camp counselor because he was one of those weird people, one of those sick people who think it's neat to get up early in the morning and watch the sun rise. I have to tell you, I was 24 before I knew the sun did rise because all I'd ever seen it do was set. But not only did he like to get up early, but he woke up happy and he'd wake up, he'd be like, good morning as he jumped out of bed and he'd start to sing a song about little birdies and happy trees going chirpity chirp 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 so in the midst of all of this wally awoke and in his drug addled state he thought it was morning and he said good morning and he jumped out of bed and he landed in the center of a triangle of skunks and he looked down and with all the innocence of a drunk he said oh, Kitty cats. <laughs> and he knelt down and he reached out and he started to scratch one of the skunks behind the ears. Well, the skunk didn't know what was happening, but it wasn't entirely unpleasant, so the skunk came closer and Wally picked him up. And he stood up and he turned to Uncle Debo and he said, Look, Uncle Debo, a kitty cat. And the skunk crawled off of Wally's hands and onto Uncle Debo's chest. And Uncle Debo sat up and he screamed. And the skunk bit him. And then all three skunks just went off. 
And Skeeter and I were laying there, choking, gagging, laughing. And we heard a voice from off in the ether that said, boys, 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 when a man does things purely for his own enjoyment, not for the benefit of God or the glory of others, he will be stained and tainted that others may know. <laughs> Bill Lepp with Skunks, a story recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. You know, at the end of that story was a callback to another of Bill's stories, a story called Vacation Bible School, in which the Baptist pastor warned a young Bill and Skeeter that they risk becoming stained and tainted by an unholy desire to take a swim in the baptismal font of the Half Dollar Baptist Church. That story is also hilarious. And you can find it in season two of The Appleseed. Season two, episode eight, to be precise. You can find it at byuradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you never know what's going to bring on a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to bring on. Bill's story about camp has me thinking back to a camp story of my own. I was 12 years old. I was away from home for what may have been the first time on a five-day trip to ride horses in the Tetons in Wyoming with the other boys in my church congregation. The horse I rode was old and a little shaggy, more or less white in color. Her name was Cloud. And about half a day into the trip, Cloud got spooked by something or other. I never knew what and still don't know what, but that horse ran off with me bouncing along on her back, terrified and hollering at her to stop. Well, Cloud, of course, didn't listen to me. She stopped only after the camp director caught up with us and stopped her. Now, in truth, it probably wasn't a very close call at all, but I was 12 and I was pretty rattled. And it was on the first day of our five-day adventure. And suddenly, even in the beauty of that place, all I could feel was terror at what else might be in store for me on the back of that horse for the remaining days of the trip. And I thought about home. At home, in the face of that kind of anxiety, my God-fearing parents might have drawn me in for, well, for a prayer. And I found myself doing that same thing deep in my sleeping bag on that first night of camp. It was a pretty awkward prayer, but it was kind of a big moment, taking the important things I'd learned at home and trying them out in the world on my own, away from my folks. And darned if the stars didn't shine just a little bit brighter that night. I got through camp alive and even made friends with Cloud. I was a little bigger after that, and I guess that's what camp was always for in the first place. Funny how even a silly story about skunks at camp can spark a tender memory about growing up. It might be that a memory came to mind for you from your own life or the life of someone you know. We call this show The Apple Seed, partly because, like seeds, stories have this wonderful way of sprouting and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Coming up is a Donald Davis story about a battle of wills between a grown-up and a kid who is a picky eater. Ever been on either side of that battle? You're going to love the story. It's up next.
It's such a pleasure to be with you on the Appleseed. A moment ago, we heard Skunks by Bill Lepp about what to do when faced with the possibility of odiferous catastrophe. We got another story for you now about a face-off between Grandma and a picky eater. Here's Doobies by Donald Davis. I tell a lot of stories about things that happened in, in childhood. And uh, the reason I do that is, is when I'm normally in a festival audience, I may have children and parents and grandparents, you know, multiple generations in one audience. And if I told stories, for example, about being in college, the little kids, you know, it wouldn't mean anything to them. Uh, but the one place we've all been is childhood. And stories about things that happened in childhood still have meaning to all of us. And I guess I tell so many of those stories. Sometimes people come up to me after I've told a story and they say, now, wait a minute, do you have kids? Well, we have three boys. We have Doug. Doug is the oldest. Today, Doug is a clinical psychologist who works with kids on the spectrum and is a specialist in game addiction. He's busy, so don't try to get on his list. <laughs> then we have Kelly. Kelly supervises research projects at, at Duke University, mostly with the hospital there. Now, there's another brother, but before you meet him, I want to tell you what those two older boys were like when they were little kids. Those two would eat anything. <laughs> cooked or raw vegetables or meat, anything, anything. Uh, Kelly's favorite thing, when his grandmother would cook a big pot of beans seasoned with fat back, with pork, you know, fat back, when he was like three years old, he had fished that fat meat out and eat it right out of the beans. Oh, it just made everybody sick, but they would just <laughs> eat everything. Yeah, yeah. Then there's their little brother, Jonathan. Today, Jonathan is a bike racer. He also is a trends analyst with Cisco Systems. Uh, but when he was a little boy, he was not like his brothers. Jonathan would not eat everything. In fact, Jonathan was a world-class picky eater. <laughs> he would have been totally happy as a little kid if his complete diet consisted of nothing but plain, plain macaroni and cheese. <laughs> now, when they were little kids, sometimes they would go spend a weekend with one of their two grandmothers. If they would spend the weekend with my grandmother, Grandma Lucille, she was smart. She always had plenty of macaroni and cheese. But if they went to spend the weekend with their other grandmother, they called her Mary Honey. She thought she could teach Jonathan to eat new things. And she refused to have macaroni and cheese. You think that worked? <laughs> Every time the boys went to spend a weekend with her, before the weekend was over, they had to go through her cabinets, go through her cabinets, go through her cabinets, trying to find something they could tell her their little brother would maybe eat. <laughs> that went on so long that finally the big boys wrote down, they actually wrote down for Mary Honey, rules for feeding Jonathan. <laughs> 
Here are the rules. Rule number one, <clears throat> do not try to feed Jonathan any food that looks like it once got run over. <laughs> that sort of wipes out the casseroles right there now, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> Rule number two, do not try to feed Jonathan any food that touches another food. <laughs> Who, some of you are like that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Rule number three, never try to feed Jonathan any food that has doobies in it. <laughs> now, you actually know what doobies are. You just don't understand his vocabulary. Just imagine a very picky eater with a plate of something you did not get to choose. And you look at it and you start noticing different colors in the same food. Hard parts, soft parts, runny parts, stringy parts. <laughs> Little spots and specks of different colors. All those things are different kinds of doobies. <laughs> and you better not eat it because it's got doobies in it. <laughs> that child could walk in the kitchen and smell something in the oven that he could not even see and swear that he smelled doobies in it. <laughs> well, one weekend it was their, their time to go visit that grandmother. And they got down there and on, on Saturday morning, they got up and uh, she said, boys, what do you want to do this afternoon? We've got a nice day ahead of us. Well, they had been looking at her newspaper. They had seen in her newspaper the very near where she lived in the Children's Nature Museum. They had these new full-size model dinosaurs on a trail through the woods. She said, that sounds like a great idea. I've been wanting to go there too. Let's go right after lunch. Well, for lunch, she fixed one of her favorite things. It had chopped up raw onions in it. It had chopped up pickles in it. It had chopped up celery in it. It had lots of mayonnaise to hold it together. <laughs> Canned tuna fish salad on top of sliced tomatoes, on a bed of wet lettuce. Does that look like it got run over? <laughs> Is that one food touching another food? How about doobies? <laughs> Jonathan would not only not eat it, he wouldn't even look at it. He covered his eyes up. He said, I might get doobies in my eyes. <laughs> Well, everybody knew that was not going to work. So Mary Honey got the big boys together and said, come look in the cabinets, see if there's something you think he'll eat. Well, they checked out her pantry and they said, now, here's the deal. Don't let him watch you make this or he'll know it's one food touching another food. But if you make it secretly and then give it to him, he will probably eat a plain peanut butter sandwich. Well, she made the sandwich, but guess what the trouble was? Mary Honey never, ever bought plain bread. The only kind she ever bought was that seedy, grainy, brown, <laughs> doobified bread. 
and Jonathan wouldn't even touch it. Well, eventually she kind of got mad because, you know, kids, if you work hard enough, you can even make your grandmother mad, right? <laughs> and she said, Jonathan, you're holding up this whole day. I'm getting tired of this. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you in the living room with this sandwich, and I'm going to close that door. And mister, because when she got that mad, she couldn't remember his name. <laughs> she said, mister, don't you come out of that room till you have finished with this sandwich. And she put him in the living room. Well, he started thinking about what she had said. Did she say, don't come out until you've eaten the sandwich? <laughs> no, she said, don't come out until you've finished with it. <laughs> that didn't take long at all. <clears throat> Pretty soon, part of that sandwich was under the edges of the rug in the living room. Some of it was behind cushions on the sofa. Some of it was actually up in a plant growing up on the end table. And the last little bit was propped behind the drapes on the windowsill. And he came out with an empty plate. I'm finished. <laughs> and they took off and headed out to see the dinosaurs. The next morning, they came home. Is that the end of the story? <laughs> Several weeks later... A package came in the mail to Jonathan from his grandmother. <laughs> he got the package and he thought, oh boy, I must be getting a present and it's not even my birthday. And he opened that package and you know what was in there? Wrapped in wax paper, dried up moldy pieces of peanut butter sandwich with doobies multiplying everywhere. <laughs> And a little letter from his grandmother that said, Dear Jonathan, I found something of yours you left behind at my house. I thought you might like to have it back. <laughs> but you know who won in the end? Just think about this. From then on, every time they went to see that grandmother, you know what she always had? Macaroni and cheese. <laughs> that was Donald Davis with Doobies. Thanks for joining us today on The Apple Seed, and thanks to Bill Epp and Donald Davis for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where do the stories take you, and who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineers are Carly Wilson and Ashton Parkinson. Trent Horton and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Appleseed.